Welcome to Behind the Trials, an MRC CTU at UCL series, where we delve into the careers and work of some of the unit staff. My name is Will Everett, and today I'll be talking with Dr. Jane Tierney, a senior research scientist at MRC CTU. Jane spends her days working on systematic reviews and the methodology relating to them. Most recently, she's been undertaking research in the area of prostate cancer. Jane, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you. So, um, I suppose the best way to begin, really, is if we just go through your career, take me on the journey that you've you've had from maybe from school or university and right the way through to, to your position now. Okay. Um, I hope it will be an interesting journey. <laughs> um, I think probably starting from school... Um, I was very much into science. It just was the thing that I loved and I didn't have to work too hard at. So it was inevitable that I was going to do something scientific. But I hadn't intended to go to university, although I did do well at school. And it was really teachers that that pushed me towards it. And I often, often think what would have happened if I hadn't made that decision or if they hadn't made that decision. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so I went to Glasgow University, the big stay-at-home university, that's where I'm from, and it was a struggle. I found it a struggle to go from school to university. But then once I kind of got through the first couple of years, I discovered that they did a parasitology degree. Honestly, I couldn't believe my luck, and I thought I went on that course because I just loved that sort of thing medicine-ish, you know, sort of tropical medicine aspects to it, but also icky, which I honestly, (laughs) I just like slightly gross things. Not at all squeamish then. (laughs) Well, in some ways I am, but not about that. I think we we grew up watching any programme where there was operations, medicine, icky stuff, then we would, would, or I would be on it. Um, (laughs) So... Yeah, so that was that was a great find, and and once I started that course, it really I just loved it, um, the sort of veterinary side of it, the um, the medical side of it, and just the sort of parasites. I just like looking at parasites, and actually the other people in my class, it was it was quite similar. I think we were all just quite taken by it, and so I think then after that, I wanted to do something that was sort of uh, a more medical or scientific medical related, but. That wasn't an option, so I ended up I applied for different jobs to mm. try and 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 do that sort of thing, but I wasn't successful. So I ended up getting a job as a research assistant, still in Glasgow, still in the same department, looking at fish parasites. Okay, so you stayed in the in the area, stayed in parasitology, which yeah. was which I was keen to do, but I wasn't that keen on fish. No. <laughs> I don't mean eating fish, I like to eat fish, but, yeah. but to handle fish. But I took the job anyway, and I didn't do a PhD because I didn't think I could. And um, it was actually my supervisors who encouraged me to register. So it was another point in my career where I was helped alone by the by the people around me. Uh, and that's what I did, and so I was really lucky. I was working as a research assistant and doing a PhD at the same time, and handled fish a lot. Spent yeah. a lot of time inside fish and <laughs> <laughs> fishing. And, um, so it was good. It was really good to have done it because 
you know, again, it sort of proved to me that I could do things. Um, wasn't always the most confident person. Uh, I had a very good PhD supervisor. I had two supervisors mm. um, and Felicity Huntingford, who who really kind of mentored me as well as supervised me and supported me. So that was a, a good experience. And it was a fun time yeah. doing your PhD. It's a lot of fun. A lot of time in the pub, unfortunately. <laughs> um so that was that. And, and although I was working in fish parasitology, I still really still wanted to get into something that was more, uh, you know, medically related yeah. and more, something more to do with um, medicine and the treatment of patients or the epidemiology of disease. So um, that's what I looked for. And that was a struggle. Again, you know, there, was, there, there were jobs in parasitology, um, animal parasitology, and that I did did apply for those, but I was also trying to apply for jobs, um, AP jobs, environmental health, it, you know, anything that had that kind of bent. What was it that was making you want to apply to those jobs as opposed to, I mean, you said that you were also applying to stay in the same field, but why were you looking to to move and, and branch out in it's just that fascination with all things medical. <laughs> it's just it's just been there for a long time. Uh, I, I sometimes say I'm a sort of doctor I want to be, but I don't think I am. I think I'm a, I think I'm a scientist yeah, who wants to work yeah. in medicine. You know, it's just the thing that kind of gets me excited. And you know, um, actually, I can remember my layer of application to the the job that I eventually got. But you know, it's I'm interested in the causes. And the consequences of disease. Yeah. That I mean, it's just the thing that that I was interested in. Um, but I've definitely got that scientific bent. Mm. You know, it's I I I probably wouldn't make a good doctor. I don't think <laughs> I've got the patience, <laughs> the patience, but not the patience. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah. So that so I applied for these different jobs because you just had to get something. You know, I needed exactly. to get um, I needed to get a job. And there were postdocs in parasitology, um, and ended up, of course, doing a postdoc back in the same department for another year, back to fish parasites, the same fish parasites, yeah. and that was one of my worst, probably the worst job I had, and the mm. reason for that was because it was a bit of a disaster. Um, we'd had a fire oh dear. in the department, a big fire, yeah. and they had to rebuild the roof labs. Wow. And we get moved up there, and that was just at the start of this postdoc, and nothing worked. Nothing that no. I had been doing during my PhD worked. Things were dying. I couldn't keep the life cycle of the parasite going, and I just, it, it was just, I just couldn't work out what was going on. It turned out probably a good six to nine months in, they discovered that the the water in the new roof labs had a really high level of copper. So that's why things were dying and not working. Yeah. But it was, yeah, it it's wasn't the most productive. Frustrating yeah. process and, and struggling through and it, everything yeah. just failing. Yeah, just failing. And I thought, you know, I've got it all sussed now. I've done the PhD. I know how to keep this all going and yeah. then we can do some research. But it wasn't. It was just trying to keep the life cycle going. I, that, that was the struggle. So that wasn't the best time. But after that, I was again looking to try and, and um, get a job either still in animal parasitology or in a more medical field. And I applied for a lot of jobs, but it, that, that was the most difficult time, I think, because yeah. it almost become a little bit pigeonholed already. Definitely, you, you 
gone through right the way through the PhD yeah. and then you've done the postdoc in the same area. Yeah, so that was that was a bit of a struggle. And then um, I remember this really well. I'd applied for lots of jobs, went to some interviews where I wish the ground could swallow me up because you know you know because you're you're trying to really sell yourself and you've maybe overselled slightly Mm. you know or you think you know more than you do about epidemiology this is the one I remember um but what what happened in that particular (laughs) interview then it was um oh god I I just remembered another funny one um it it was just it was um it's sort of an environmental health job and I was talking about my sort of epidemiology knowledge, but I, I knew a little bit about epidemiology, but clearly not enough to mm. do a job in it without training. And it was just the questions, you know, how would you do, um, you know, if you wanted to to look at the exposure and how, how would you do this sort of study? And I just didn't know the answers. No. It was awful. But I had, an, I've forgotten about this. I had another interview in Cardiff, um, and this was to work in what used to be the MRC pneumoconiosis unit, but became what did it become? They were they did big heart disease epidemiology studies, and I went for an interview there, which was actually in a restaurant in the valleys in Wales. <laughs> and it was a very nice man, and he was yeah. he was he retired quite a few late few years later. He was the the, the person who who looked a lot at aspirin and heart hmm. disease um, in these big AP studies. I can't remember his name, which is terrible. But we he sort of interviewed me in a restaurant, yeah. if you like. And he was asking me all about my PhD, fish parasites, and I was talking to him about them, quite the thing, join myself, talking about parasites over dinner. <laughs> but there was a sort of um, arched ceiling and he went to the toilet and this woman came over to me and said, you ruined our dinner. Oh, no. We could hear what you were talking about. It was disgusting. <laughs> what a disaster. It was terrible. And um, I was really upset. You know, I yeah. it was just, she was very aggressive. And of course, I had upset her. Yeah. I hadn't realised this because they were on the other side no, of the restaurant. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Um, and he sort of offered me the job, but then he gave it to someone else. And I think it was probably the right thing. It wasn't quite the right job. But anyway, I was um, still looking, still actively seeking employment, yeah. as I said in my interview subsequently. Um, and I flicked through the new, was flicking through the new scientist, as I did every week, looking for jobs. Missed it on the first look. Mm. And again, it's one of those things I think back about... What if I hadn't done that? Yeah, if you'd just look? gone through a second time. <gasps> Went through a second time, saw this job, thought, how did I miss this? It was really perfect in the sense that they were looking for someone who'd handled data. So I did a lot of that, my PhD, little bit of stats knowledge, had that. Um, it was to look at um, these reviews in cancer, individual yeah. participant data reviews in cancer, looking at treatments for cancer. Um, it was in Cambridge and I just thought, oh my, I've got the skills, I've got the skills. (laughs) And it was something that was really interesting to me. So I applied, oh no, first of all, I phoned up, I remember it well, I phoned up, um, I spoke to Leslie Stewart and, um, about the job and I was selling myself. And at the end of it, I said, you know, I have to say my PhD was in fish parasites though. And she said, that's okay, because mine was in ladybirds. 
So I thought, oh, yes, oh, yes. Perfect. Um, fit so perfect. And also I thought I detected a Scottish accent. <laughs> As you may have noticed, I have a Scottish accent. So um, I was interviewed by Leslie and Max in the Cancer Trials Office in Cambridge. So Max Palmer, yeah, who's the director yeah. here. And, um, and I remember that question. So what have you been doing with your time since mm. the postdoc? Which meant I was unemployed and yes. I said I had been I was actively seeking employment which was the truth <laughs> but they did laugh so I got the job and I started and that was I mean really I, I used to say to people when I'd go home that I'd found my niche yeah it was just fantastic I got to so it was scientific but it was in medicine it was in cancer um looking at you know you know, finding out whether treatments work or mm-hmm. not, reviewing the worldwide data, speaking to people all over the world, um, going to conferences all over the world. It was unbelievable yeah. to me. Um, and also moving to Cambridge, it was such a big change for me. I, I, I grew up in a, you know, the west of Scotland, which is known for its wet weather, an industrial town, and I moved to Cambridge, which Must seemed like nirvana. Such a big shift in in culture it was wonderful it was really great I mean you knew cycled everywhere and yeah it was it was just wonderful I mean obviously I didn't know anybody but um but the job and the people that I worked with it was it was a small group then doing cancer trials so we worked alongside the people doing the trials no it was it was it was amazing I just I just thought I've I'm so lucky I've landed on my feet here um yeah, it was just it was just wonderful, and, and feeling like I had I, I had I was doing something useful that we were actually finding out whether certain treatments worked. Um, and I know now that that some of the stuff that we did and and still do has a has a big impact on treatment guidelines and how patients are treated. So I'm still motivated yeah, by that, yeah. you know. And and yeah, it was wonderful. It was I think of those. Probably wasn't like this, really, but I sort of think about these long, hot summers in Cambridge, you know, cycling around, going to the pub, playing rounders, you know. I'd work late because I enjoyed it. Yeah. And I didn't know anybody. But, you know, I worked <laughs> late because I did... You I were just, passionate about I was what passionate you were doing. About it, yeah, yeah. And, and I did enjoy it. So it was... Um, no, it was a great time. It was a great time. I won't tell you when it was, but it was a great time. <laughs> so that was that. That was the... The job then, and, and Leslie Stewart was was my boss. She really supported me, looked after me, because obviously I'd moved there. And it turns out, uh, is um, Leslie studied in the same department as me. I didn't did know she? that at the beginning. No. She obviously knew it when she looked at when my CV. When she looked CV. through your CV, yeah. Um, but I didn't know that until afterwards. So she'd worked in the same department as me, or she'd studied in the same department as mm. me a few years earlier. So you know, again, it's I mean, I'm not the stars collided or whatever, but no. but it but it was a bit like that. You know, we had a de- there was a definite meeting of minds, and we got on really well. And you know, and and she did inspire me and and supported me mm. and believed in me. So you know, she 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 encouraged me to do things that I might not otherwise have done. And you know, we did yeah, we had a good time. A big change came when so we were doing these systematic reviews. In cancer, yeah. often collecting the individual participant data it took a long time, but what you got was a really good quality answer. And they, as I said already, they had a big impact on on how patients were treated. So that was wonderful, and and it was about the same time that the Cochrane collaboration 
started. So that was to encourage people to do systematic reviews across the whole of of medicine. Um, And the great thing about that is lots more people started doing systematic reviews, but, but also... Therapeutic areas started to move really quick, much more quickly than they had in the past, particularly in cancer, where um, I had worked mainly. Um, and so lots of people were doing systematic reviews. It started to become difficult to know how you fitted into that. And you do the, this really good quality individual participant data review and someone would already have done a systematic review. And it, it was just a challenge to, to get the right answer to people so I I definitely think for a while we were sort of struggling to find what it was we should be doing and should we be doing it differently and then around that time was when Leslie moved to York so she got a a new job in York and I was devastated I mean it was I really was all at sea a bit when when Leslie left I could get quite emotional about it Um, but but that's because we'd worked so closely for, for so long and also because it wasn't so clear where the work would go. Mm-hmm. So we'd done these big systematic reviews of individual participant data in cancer, lots of different cancers, and um, where was I going to take the group? You know, I had a group of people that I was responsible for and I had to come up now with the, next with the ideas, the yeah. next five years, the yeah. subsequent five years. So that was that was a challenge, and I think it it went on being a challenge for a few years, and then Max and I had long conversations about we can't always do these individual participant no. date reviews; they take too long. Um, people need answers much more quickly than that. So we came up with this idea. It was, took took a long time, but we came up with this idea of how can we make standard reviews more reliable. How can we make them more prospective? Because systematic reviews look back generally yeah. at what's happened and they don't really take account of what's coming. So what trials are coming out, what results are coming out. Um, and they're not always reliable because no. of that. Um, and they still take time. So we were all about how can we speed things up? Yeah. How can we kind of keep up with the, the sort of therapeutic areas which are moving much more quickly? How can we still get reliable answers to whether treatments work better than others? Um, and, you know, how can we avoid or at least postpone having to collect the raw data, which takes a long time? Yeah. So it was all of those kind of things. And so we come up with this um, framework for adaptive meta-analysis, um, which is fame. So we come up with this idea of we, if we look ahead to what's coming, then we can react to trial results coming out. We can do a review sort of in the same time frame as the trials. Um, we could have much more influence on practice and also future trials um but we can still be reliable if we do it properly so that's what that's been all about and it's been the big thing for us these last few years and it's sort of liberated me liberated our group now we know what we're doing now we can get answers quickly now we can have an impact without collecting the ipd at the outset um so we ensuring that Reliability. Reliability. I mean, for me, I've worked more in the methodology around systematic reviews in recent years compared to previously. 
And for me, it's all about doing methodology that really has an impact. And mm. that's not just because my funder would like me to say that, no, no, no. but because I want the results to be as reliable as possible. I want I want it to have an impact yeah. on, on You, you want to know people. that what you're doing is actually going to have some tangible benefit to yeah. someone in the future. Exactly. And that benefit might actually be to a systematic reviewer. Because I yeah. am a systematic reviewer. I need help well, to exactly. do things better. It doesn't better. necessarily have to be some change to clinical practice. Yeah. That might be even further down the line. But it actually being able to help someone else do their work better, Exactly. That's also exactly. How is impactful. The Cochrane Collaboration, who are all about uh, doing systematic reviews, have, have agreed that we can put a little bit on it in the Cochrane Handbook. And I'm really keen... At, um, I've, I've submitted a workshop for Cochrane this year because mm. I really want other systematic yeah, reviewers to see to know this. About yeah, it because I think it is. It's 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 really using the methodology that's already there. It's just taking a step back and being more ahead of the game. Yeah, you know, knowing what's coming and taking account of of what's yet to come. So. Um, yeah, so you can see I'm quite passionate yeah. about it. No, and we've done it. it. We've done it in real reviews, you know, and we've done it and we've had an impact. We So we've where we've done it is in prostate cancer systematic reviews. And so we've used FAME a few times recently um, and we're just about to embark on another FAME review. And we're sort of starting to get into the groove with it, yeah. you know, understand the challenges and so on. So I think we're in good position to talk to others about it and, and help them do their reviews quicker and more reliably. But we haven't given up on individual participant data no. because it is, people will call it the gold standard. Um, and that's kind of what, that's sort of what defines me and what defines our group. We've got a reputation for that. But importantly, when you get the raw data, you get much more reliable answers. You can do much more with it. You can find out, for example... Um, so you do a fame review and it says a treatment works. You get like the IPD, you find out, does it work for all men with prostate cancer? Does yeah. it only work for particular groups of men with prostate cancer? You can do that sort of thing. Um, you can find out, well, what if they switch treatment along the way? Can we look at the impact? Well, you can do that when you collect the raw data. So it still is the, the most valuable thing to have. The other thing that we're doing at the moment is we're trying to build a repository of mm. prostate cancer trials. So collecting the individual participant data from those trials so that we can get those more in-depth answers. But also um, try and identify early surrogate outcomes for survival. And the reason for, for doing that is then you might be able to speed up future prostate cancer yeah. trials. So it's like a whole kind of package of things mm. that you can get out of collecting the IPD. So... Um, so that's exciting, but that's a lot of data. We're talking about, I think it's about 45 trials. Yeah. Um, I forget the number of men, but a lot. I, a I was going to say, in terms of collecting that amount or volume of data, surely data standardisation is going to be one of the biggest challenges. <laughs> well, hopefully. Uh, well, I mean... It's funny you say that because there, there always is um, issues. Around, when you collect IPD to answer a specific question, then you try and get all the trials to, you know, you try and standardise as much as possible yeah. across the trials. But of course, if they haven't collected the data in the same way, you can't always do that. But that's just inevitable. But in general, you can do such a lot. I mean, you know, age is age. 
you know, gender is gender yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Well, not in this case, prostate cancer. But, but you know, lots of things are quite standard. Mm. Um, and other things, if you collect the data in the right way, you can make them standard. Okay. Um, and the good thing is if we do it, we collect all these trials, get the data together, make it all standard across the trials, then it's ready for reuse. It's ready for yeah. other people to, to use it to answer new questions that arise. So I think it's going to be uh, um, a really valuable resource. Mm. So that, yeah, so that's sort of where we are now. We, we, we're doing them in parallel, standard reviews, but doing them better, quicker, we hope. Um, but still sticking to what we know, which is collecting the IPD. And I mean, collecting IPD is, a, is an interesting experience mm. because you have to be collaborative um, and you have to build relationships with people. You have to support them in supplying the data, query the data. Yeah. Um, but you get to speak to people all over the world, you know, by mm. email, usually. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, I, I do like working collaboratively. It doesn't always get you where you need to go in your career. No. It's a difficult thing for our trials unit. You know, um, you are always part of a collaboration. But, you know, there's something nice about that, that it isn't always the senior author, the first author. But it's challenging at the same time because everybody needs to have their papers and show the outputs that they're having, uh, including our collaborators. So yeah. it's, it, it brings challenges. So you've touched upon collaboration as a very important part of your career and, and how it's such a valuable thing to have. But you said it doesn't necessarily always help the advancement of your own personal objectives or goals I suppose my questions really are looking back is there anything that you might have done differently or you know something that you would have changed given the the, the person that you are and the, the position that you've reached we're well aware of this in, in the unit because it's it's you know trials are team science uh, and the stuff that I do is is very much especially the individual participant data stuff is very much about collaboration you need to publish you need to present you you know and your funder and your um, and UCL or your research institution needs to know what you've achieved and so sometimes you get a little bit diluted in these big collaborations even when you're in a sort of smaller collaboration I think probably if I'd been a little bit more mindful about where I was on the author list mm. and um, and making sure that everybody gets, you know, in the right position for yeah. their career, then, you know, it would have helped them and, and probably helped me. And to be honest, I think that's, it's only now that I'm in a, a big university that I really sort of understand that better that these things are important to to your sort of um career progression mm. you know it doesn't mean that you have to be ruthless no um but i think as a, as a as a manager i need to make sure that my staff get those things for themselves yeah um you're, you're feeling it, that it's along the lines of credit where credit's credit due. where credit's due exactly um and also that when you work in a collaboration that you just make sure that people know the kind of rules of engagement you know you you can still have important authorship positions corresponding author these things are important when it comes to publications without upsetting people I think it's just being clear about it up front 
um, and being a bit cleverer about it. I think it would have had a bit of an impact mm. on, on my career, but would I have done it differently? Maybe on some occasions, yeah. but maybe just enough occasions that it would have made a difference. But I think it's, it, as I said, being, being in a big university, you, we're more acutely aware of it than we probably were in the past. Um, and it hasn't been the thing that's driven me. I, I mean, I love the idea of, of, of being able to identify a treatment that works for people, helps yeah. them live longer, you know, decreases their morbidity, their side effects. You know, I think that's, I think that's really powerful for me. And, and, you know, the methodology that I do, if it's methodology, I'm, I want it to be something that impacts how people do things and, and, and making sure that the answers to these clinical questions are, are, are the most reliable. So it's those sorts of things that drive me. And just, I mean, I've never really thought about this till now, but it's, I like, I like doing science. I like being a scientist. Yeah. I, I, I like to resolve problems. Yeah. I like to, you know, I love the start of the project, the excitement of it. But, you know, when you come to the end and you have an answer that actually has meaning, oh, I mean, there's nothing beats it. And, and, and we're lucky in doing systematic reviews. That can happen quite quickly. But I watch the people in here doing trials, huge endeavours, take very long time, and to get to the end of all that and, and maybe still be inconclusive or... Or, or not of a treatment that works yeah. better. It's it must be soul destroying. So when you get those little nuggets and and you you feel that you've had an impact, I think it's I think that's much more my inspiration. Having said that, I still get excited when there's a paper with my name on it. <laughs> you know that someone's actually wants to listen yeah. to what I have to yeah. say. So whenever I am in the authorship lift, but you know there's still something exciting about having your work out there that someone thinks it's it's useful, important or whatever or interesting. <laughs> so um, so I think I'm more motivated by those sorts of things. Thank you very much for talking to me today. That's been a really interesting and insightful session. I think we've covered some very interesting things right the way through from uh, <laughs> fish parasites to your driving force actually having impact on uh, patients and people. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Trials. If you'd like to hear more from us, why not subscribe either on iTunes or SoundCloud? You can also follow us on Twitter for our latest updates.